0: Friends, if you could turn in your Bibles, please to uh, the Book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter, um, Hebrews twelve. Okay, Hebrews um, twelve. We'll read from first one. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking on to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. You have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. And you uh, you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. My son, do not despise the chastening of the Lord, nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by him. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, scourges every son whom he receives. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father does not chasten? But if you are without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we have had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us as seemed best to them but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness. Amen. Friends, let's turn in the Bible again to Second uh, Timothy chapter 4. The text tonight is verse 7. I'm going to read from uh, verse 1 through to verse 8, just to keep it in context. So you have um, the scripture open before you, Second Timothy. Chapter 4, verse 1, where Paul gives this charge to young Timothy. I charge you, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Finally there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day and not to me only but also to all who have loved his appearing. Amen. My friends, just let us by in a moment's prayer. Father, we pray that you would, as we prayed this morning, that you would help us just to concentrate on all that is said and done. Pray, Father, that you would bless and be with our brother Simon as he ministers tonight in Pemberton. Thank you for sister churches here in the Northwest and in the Liverpool area where your servants are faithfully holding forth the word of life and light and liberty. May you be pleased to bless and uphold this evening. To the glory of Jesus Christ we ask it. Amen. 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 Well, friends, we are taking our time as we move through verses 6, 7, and 8 because of their great importance. Paul cites, obviously not in a boastful way, but he cites his faithful life and his triumphant anticipation of being with the Lord. He's doing this in part because this is the longing of his heart for young Timothy. He longs that Timothy and indeed ourselves would catch the vision of living a similar kind of life so that when it comes to the time of our departure you and I would be able to say, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day, and not to me only, but also to all who have loved his appearing. This then is not just a summary of Paul's own life, But beloved, it is an encouragement to the life of Timothy and to every other servant of the Lord Jesus Christ who has ever read it. Taken together, these three verses, 6, 7, and 8, are divided into three tenses. Uh, The first one deals with the present tense, which we looked at last week, verse 6. I am already being poured out as a drink offering. Verse 7, which we come to tonight, deals with the past tense. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. And verse 8, which, God willing, we will come to next Lord's Day, deals with the future tense. There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give to me on that day. So, As Paul looks at the present tense of his life, he sees the close of his life and he is ready. He's ready to depart. As he looks at the past tense, he sees the course of his life and he's able to testify that he was faithful. And as he looks at the future, he sees the crown of life that will be his reward So, as I say, we come to verse 7. To put the words in Greek order, it would read this way The good fight I have fought, the course I have finished, the faith I have kept. In each of those three sentences or those three phrases, there is a perfect tense verb which uh, describes completed action in the past with continuing results. All the way along, it indicates that all the way along, he, Paul, had fought the good fight. All the way along, he had continued the course until it had been finished. All All the way along, he had kept the faith. And the great apostle looks back over his life uh, there are no regrets. There's no sadness. No remorse. No sense of unfulfillment. There's this feeling of completeness. So there's no incompleteness. He does not see the smallest thing having been left undone. What Christ had called him to do, he did. What Christ equipped him to do, he did. And what Christ providentially gave him opportunity to do, he completed. And so the Apostle Paul faces death with total satisfaction. He faces his death triumphantly in the memory of a life work. Complete it. That's the way to go, beloved, isn't it? That's the way to leave this uh, scene of time. That's the way to come to to the end of your life. Mm -hmm. Question is, how can we live so that that kind of triumphant joy in the face of death could belong to us? How can we Live so that that kind of confidence in the face of death could belong to us? How can we live so that it ends like that? So that I can come to the end of my life and say, I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. How can our lives end in such triumph? Well, those uh, three sentences, those three phrases, they give us the answer. So here are five principles to think about that will guarantee that you and I can finish life with the same note of triumph that the Apostle Paul finished his life. Principle number one. He recognized that he was in a spiritual fight. He recognized that he was in a spiritual struggle. Now, what he says in verse 7 I have fought the good fight. Now, we get our word agony from the Greek word that is used here. Uh, The term is used in different ways in the New Testament to describe different kinds of struggles or fights. But keep this thought in mind. Every time the verb or the noun is used... I gone my or eigena, uh, The underlying um, common denominator every time is that uh, they express, whether fervor or Nine, they express excessive effort and energy expended in some kind of contest. It could be a boxing match. It could be a wrestling match. It could be a race. It's used in all those ways in the New Testament. But the underlying idea is that there is excessive effort required and expended in some kind of contest or struggle or conflict or fight. It's um, running the race that is set before us. 1 Corinthians 9. Or we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but we wrestle against principalities and powers, the rulers of darkness of this world, spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places, Ephesians chapter 6. Paul realized that uh, he was in a fight, spiritual fight. He realized that he was in a struggle. He was in a contest. He was in Athletic combat for victory. And victory could be gained only by maximum effort. Who is the enemy or the enemies that Paul fought against? Well, Hin- William Hendrickson wrote regarding the Apostle Paul, quote, It had been a fight against Satan, against the principalities and powers, the rulers of this dark age against Jewish and pagan vice and violence, against Judaism among the Galatians, against fanaticism among the Thessalonians, against contention, fornication, and litigation among the Corinthians, against incipient Gnosticism among the Ephesians and Colossians, Against fightings without and fears within, and last but not least, against the law of sin and death operating within his own heart. End of quote. We can identify with some of that. We know what our hearts are like, and we know that it's always a struggle. You're bottling your own flesh and your own sin. And your own ignorance and your own laziness and your own lack of priorities. You're battling against those things that pull you off course to do things that aren't the best. We'll look at that uh, a bit more under another heading in a moment. But it's only only as you compete successfully against that... um, you know, with a sense that you're in a struggle. It's only when you realize that you're in a struggle, that you're in a combat, that you must win, that you're ever going to, you know, come to a triumphant end. You have to realize that you're in a fight. No one will ever make the maximum effort in the Christian life who doesn't see the reality of a great spiritual struggle that demands supreme commitment and maximum effort. To this glorious gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, you know, what Paul is you know referring to here when he says I have fought the good fight, that's not just true for Paul and Timothy. It's true for all of us, isn't it? Spiritual life is war. Spiritual walk is is warfare, it's simple as that. But not only does he say I have fought the fight. But notice he calls it the good fight. And that takes us to principle number two. The cause for which he was engaged was a, a noble cause. Uh, the word good is kalos in Greek. It could be translated beautiful. It could be translated profitable. It could be translated excellent or delightful or honourable or distinguished. Paul doesn't come to the end of his life, put pen to parchment and write, I have fought a dumb fight. You know, as I look back, it was a waste of time. He doesn't write, I have fought that ridiculous, unending, unending, tiring, boring fight doesn't say that. He doesn't say I fought that debilitating, defeating fight. No. He says I fought that honorable fight. I fought that good fight. I fought that noble fight. He had a tremendously elevated sense of the cause in which he was engaged in his life. It's is a, well, it's a stately word. It's a stately word, the word noble. It was a noble cause for which he was fighting. And it's a noble cause for which we fight. Where are you giving your life? What are you expending your life upon? Men and women have given their, their lives for many causes. And many, you know, give their lives for the cause of political ideologies, communism or whatever. But friends, there, there is no more noble cause than the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the preaching of this glorious gospel to people who are dead in trespasses and sins. None is as noble as the advancement of this glorious kingdom. Paul was literally consumed with this. His life was captivated with this. So that, you know, in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 9, he writes, What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. I count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things. And count them as rubbish. That I may gain Christ. It's all nothing but garbage he says. It's all rubbish. And he had a lot of credentials didn't he? And yet he counted it all rubbish. Why? Because he says I have a more noble cause. The cause of Christ. So we are to look at our life as a fight. We are involved in a spiritual struggle, in a spiritual contest. And we can never let down our guard. We can never rest from the fight. You know, as we say, there's no Christmas Day truces or anything like that. And yet in this fight, we are buoyed on, we are spurred on, encouraged, literally, Catapulted, catapulted into it because of its nobility, because of its goodness. This is a cause worth fighting for, a cause worth dying for. We are fighting for such a noble king as the king of kings. It's such a noble cause. We have a high and holy and heavenly calling, says scripture. But there's a third principle and it's brought to us in the second phrase or second sentence, verse 7. I have finished the race. My friends, the third principle is this. He recognized the need to avoid, you know, wandering off the course. He, uh, saw the importance of having a self-disciplined life in order to stay on the course. And this is so instructive isn't it you know there are two things that can uh, take us off course two things that can have us going off down by path meadows um, if you're going to finish the race you've got to stay on course and you can't finish in the time God gives you to finish if you're running all over the place It's almost as if, if you could look at it this way, it's almost as if um, God give you a moment to be born into his kingdom. Okay, that's when the race began. And God has ordained a moment when you will enter his presence. And that's how much time you have to run the race. Between the time of your conversion and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and the time of you entering this scene of time, uh, leaving this scene of time and entering glory. And if you intend to finish the race that God has defined for you to run, you have got to stay on course. Because all the time you spend off the course is time lost in the race. And what may happen, this is something for us to talk about over a cup of tea, if you're up for it. What may happen is that the end may come before the finish comes. And let that sink in. The end may come before the finish comes. The point being this. That if you're going to finish the course you must recognize the need to avoid going off in the bypath meadows, wandering of the course, and have the self-discipline to stay on track. That's just basic. What gets us off track? He said two things, generally. That's why we read Hebrews chapter 12, particularly verses 1 and 2. He says the first thing that gets us off track is we've got to lay aside. What do we need to lay aside? Every weight and sin which so easily uh, entraps us or ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, there are two things that slow you down in the race, two things that divert people off the course. One is um, hindrance or weight, and the second one is sin. Hindrance or weight is simply unnecessary baggage. Uh, You don't run a race. You don't run a sprint in an overcoat. You don't run a race in a pair of uh, welly boots, do you? You don't run a mile carrying your luggage. Now, it's not that welly boots are sinful. You know what I mean? Uh, They they ain't necessarily immoral. Uh, They're not uh, unrighteous. (laughs) See, when you're running a race, they're just unnecessary. And the second factor is sin. People get off course and sometimes get off course and totally implode into small bits and pieces, never to run again because of moral evil. They lapse into moral sin. The two things that get you off the track so that you can't finish in The time that God gives you is on necessary baggage and being diverted into sin. And I would uh, suggest that for every servant of God, well, probably 9 out of 10 who implode in a moral disaster and are out of the race, they are, well, as I say, they're probably 9 out of 10 who get off track because they were initially diverted by stuff that was inconsequential. And so they were diverted by the little things, first of all. The things that weren't necessarily sinful. But they got diverted. And then that started them off down the slippery slope. If you want to go through your life... And then where God wants you to end, having finished what he gave you to finish, beloved, you have to realize that you're in a fight which demands maximum effort all the way. And there's no time to let up. You know, there's no time to put your food up. Take it easy. You've got to realize the nobility of the cause in which you are engaged You've got to recognize that it's essential for you to keep clear your calling, that God has given us this task. We face a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. I would venture a guess that most Christian people really don't have any idea that they're, they're here, what they're here for, what they're supposed to do, be doing for the Lord. And it's not uh, because he wouldn't give them or he wouldn't want them to know. It's because our lives are, you know, get so filled up and messed up and crowded with junk. The one who ends his life knowing the joy of triumph and a finished work is the one who has stayed on the track and maximized their every opportunity. That leads us to the fourth principle that's inherent in this. If you're going to finish where you need to finish at the end and triumph, just like the Apostle Paul. we need to recognize that we have to treasure time. If you're going to finish the job just as the years of life, you know, run out, then you have to be mindful that you run against the clock. Okay, the clock's ticking down. And we all have to run against the clock. Just like a, a race, you know, the clock is, is the thing. you know, you got to beat the clock. Uh, forget about the person in front of you. Beat the beat the clock, you know, beat that world record, beat that European record or whatever. You know, the time is a thing. You know, in the, the Winter Olympics um, a few years ago, you ever watch the Winter Olympics and those uh, speed skaters? You know, one of those guys lost gold by a fraction of a second because at one point going round that arena that they go round for a split second he missed one step and dropped one arm. You know when they're going round they've got that silly sort of movement and their arms are going they're flying around that. He, he just let the arm drop. And it cost them gold. The smallest, minutest loss of time. Beloved, do you treasure time? Do you, like Paul said in Ephesians chapter five, sixteen? redeem the time because the days are evil? Do you buy up time? Is it precious to you or do you waste time? Do you waste it on yourself? Does the world go by? The days go by? The hours go by? The minutes go by without any consequence? Beloved, if you're going to finish, you've got to run against the clock. We have only so many breaths. We have only so many pumps of the heart. And then there's the last one, and that's it. Time is Precious. Now, some of you are old enough to remember David Cassidy. Isn't that right? Yep. Claire used to dance these records before she was a believer. David Cassidy, you had his photos up in your bedroom. Heart thug for uh, teenage girls in the 70s. Lay dying of alcohol poisoning, age 61 his final words to his daughter, Katie, before he drew his last breath. So much wasted time. So much wasted time. And he slips into eternity. Probably a Christless eternity. And Paul says, I have finished the race. How did you finish so well, Paul? Paul? Because I considered time. I filled my every moment with the maximum effort. William Barclay in one of his commentaries writes about this particular image. Imagery of finishing the course. Talks about the Battle of Marathon. One of the divisive battles in the history of the ancient world. And that the Greeks met the Persians and if the Persians had conquered the uh, glory that was Greece would never have flowered upon the world. But of course the glory of the Persians would have flowered upon the world, which would have been interesting in itself. But against fearful odds, the Greeks actually defeated the Persians and won the Battle of Marathon. And after the battle, a Greek soldier, uh, Phidippides, he ran all the way you know, from the battle to Athens with the, the news. And he went straight to the magistrates of Athens. He ran, rejoice, he was gasping, we have conquered. And as he delivered his message, he fell dead. He completed the course. His work was done. And there was no finer way for a man to die in Barclay's quote. Now, today, the marathon that we know is a tribute to that soldier. Its distance is supposed to be the same distance as Ph- um ran. He ran for his life. He ran, he ran his life out so that he, he finished and he gave his message and died because he made the maximum effort of time he give the maximum effort in the moments that he had. My friends, that's the way to live your life. You know, run full speed until you reach the goal, deliver the message, finish and die. But you have to give the maximum effort along the way. That's why we were singing McKeon's testimony hymn. He, he he give his life maximum effort. Burned himself out. For the cause of the gospel of Jesus Christ. How can you live so as to have a triumphant conclusion? How can you live so as to have joy in the face of death? How can you live so that um, you know when you come to your end you have you have done the work that God has given you to do? Well, fifth principle I have kept the faith. He recognized that he was fulfilling a sacred trust regarding the word of God. Now, that is the controlling element in everything. The reason we are committed to the warfare is because the word of God calls us to that. The reason we understand it to be a noble cause, a good cause, is because the word of God defines it as such. The reason we want to run with self-discipline and finish strong is because that's what God's word calls us to do. And the reason we want to treasure time is because because God tells us to do that. You see, the underlying element here in all of this is the word of God. But there's a thought here that I, I want you to capture. The faith... Refers to the revealed word of God I have kept is the verb guarded I have guarded the revealed word of God in other words in all my running and all my struggling and all of my conflicts and all of my labor I have always always been conscious of the sacred trust of the word of God to obey it to guard it proclaim it never compromise on it second Timothy 1 verse 14 the good thing which was committed to you keep guard by the Holy Spirit who dwells in us first 1 Timothy 1:20 1, oh Timothy guard keep what was committed to you uh, to your trust because some who professed have spread concerning the faith Jude chapter 3 contend earnestly for the faith, which was once for all delivered to the saints. So no matter how difficult, no matter how often attacked, no matter how much persecution comes, there is this unwavering, obedient commitment to live and proclaim God's precious word. The treasure of all treasures. This book in front of me, the book that's on your knee. Beloved, do you live your life for the word of God? Is it precious to you? Is it treasured? If you're going to finish strong, you have to be a person who is committed to the treasure of this word. A missionary um, in France, Homan Inferno, related the story of a of a little French girl who came to the Lord Jesus Christ, came to faith. Uh, she was blind, had been blind from birth, but um, she knew how to read braille. And someone got her a Gospel of Mark in braille, and she was so enamoured with the Word of God that she, you know, she read it continuously. Her fingers going over the. Little bumps of the of the braille, and uh, offensively, she wore callus on her her fingers, both of her hands, so that she couldn't read it anymore because uh, her fingers had become the de- desensitised. And then came the almost um, unbelievable report that in an effort to uh, get back to the word of God, uh, she cut the, the skin off her hardened fingers, hoping that that would make her fingers more sensitive. But it actually did the opposite and permanently scarred her fingers so that she was unable to read the Bible. And the missionary related how she she bent down uh, to kiss the Bible, the scriptures, goodbye. Only to find out that her lips were more sensitive than her fingers. And for the rest of her days. She read the scripture with her lips. Uh, What kind of appetite do you have for the word of God? Would you cut the skin of your fingers? Would you read it with your lips? Is it that precious to you? Paul lived and breathed the word of God. And if you're going to come to the end of your life and finish strong, it isn't just effort, it's effort under the direction of this marvellous word. Do you understand that, beloved? Not just a fight. It's a fight controlled by the word of God. It's a cause defined by the word of God. It's a course laid out by the word of God. It's time used in line with the word of God. So what are the necessary factors if you're going to end the way Paul ended? Well, we must recognize and be committed to the reality of the spiritual fight all of our lives. We must be committed to the nobility of the cause. We must live a life of self-discipline so that you stay on course and don't get diverted by hindrances and encumbrances and the sins that so easily ensnare us. We must hold precious to our heart the value of time. And you must always, always, under the authority of God's word, seek to live out your life. And then, beloved, you can finish the way Paul finished. Amen.